We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Rotoviz listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and one of the co-hosts of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Rotoviz Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Rotoviz website, the best tools and content in the business for the best listeners in the business as always we do appreciate you listening to each and every show and if you do have 5 10 15 seconds to spare please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app it is much appreciated with all that said thank you once again for tuning in i hope you have a great day now let's get back to the show Welcome to the home of professional football, Canton, Ohio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May, and you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M and Titan Travis on Clubhouse. If you're joining us, if you're joining us for the first time, College to Canton is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from college football uh, recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We always talk some fantasy football since this is a Road of His Radio podcast, but we always make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. And today we're taking a look at the past, the present, and the future all at once. Basically, you know, taking a look at some of the players uh, from the past uh, in this whole prospecting thing that we hit on or missed on uh, as a community uh, in terms of consensus and how we rated players years before they made it to the NFL and also individually. 
uh, how we uh, have improved in our own process over the years uh, in, in grading out these prospects and, and watching the film and, and learning uh, what we can from analytics. Uh, and really going to get into some players that are still up in the air that we liked or some players that uh, we're pumped about in the future as well that are still in college football and still could rise into NFL stardom. Uh, and maybe a couple ways to help uh, you know you guys predict NFL future success better yourselves. And to help me jump into this topic, I'm actually joined by a good buddy of mine, uh, John Lobb. You guys may remember him. He's actually been on the show before. You can find him on Twitter at GridironSkull91. That's Gridiron, and that's S-C-H-O-L 91. Uh, he does everything, college fantasy football and NFL fantasy football. He's He's uh, with AFF Diehards. He co-hosts the CFF on campus and the draft seminar. You know, with uh, I guess that's with uh, you know NFL Draft Bible, right? Is that is that yes. correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you you've been doing a whole bunch of stuff with the football diehards crew for a while, and and everything. I mean, we were just talking about pre-show here, just how long you've been playing college fantasy. You you love the process of of players moving from college to the pros, and that's really all this show is about. So thanks for joining me, man. You doing all right? I'm doing great, man. Made it through the pandemic, made it through the school year. The college fantasy football season last year was the most difficult in my 12 years of playing fantasy football. You know, the draft process was a challenge this year without the combine. But right now, this is my favorite month because I don't have any tense deadlines. The draft season of the summer hasn't come about yet. So now I get to really study college players And I'm doing it on two levels. One, for my college fantasy football rankings. So there are players that have no chance at NFL success, but are very important in college fantasy football. So I got to study them, look at them. And then obviously at the same time, I've done some Debbie rankings. I have my Debbie rankings posted. I have my model. So I get to work a little slowly, but on two fronts, which also end up preparing me on the front end for the draft season come next January. So I feel a little ahead of most people because I kind of have a feel already for the next draft class. Obviously, things change. But I like this time of the year because I get a watch tape at my leisure and at my pace right now. Yeah, and that's a great place to be. Like, I mean, this this is a fun time of year because you can work on, on different projects and different... I mean, that's what I've been doing. I've been really delving into... Uh, predicting future capital based on several other uh, variables across uh, a few different positions and really digging into uh, quarterback metrics and and things like Ah. that. I mean, it's fun just nerding out about all this stuff. And this is a great time of the year because there's not a whole lot of new information right now. Yes, we're, you know, the NFL and the dead cap money date that just passed. Yes, that's going to generate some some trades. There's going to be a few names that get signed here and, and move in the, in the coming weeks. And college football recruiting just opened back up. You know, players can finally actually visit campuses. Like this whole dead period uh-huh. thing, like that, that's finally over. And it, that happened at the same day as the dead money thing for the NFL. So there's going to be some news worthy things that that happen. But realistically, until like camps open up in mid July, there's not going to be a ton of new information that we're we're trying to sift through. So it's it's good, but I, I love to take this time and just dig into 
well, how, how can I pr- improve my process? How can I get better? How can I uh, get better at this whole predicting the future thing <laughs> that we like to think we can do <laughs> when it comes to fantasy football, when it comes to the, the NFL draft, when it comes to college players actually panning out? And so I think one of the best ways we can get better at that is looking back at the past, looking back at, at where we hit and how we missed and and what may have caused that. Uh, and really looking at some players that are right now still up in the air, like that we might actually learn from that could hit one or the, one way or the other, like in, in this incoming rookie class or, you know, freshmen or sophomores in the in the NFL. And so well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, at some of our hits in the past and some of the misses in the past and see what we can learn uh, just live on the show. We're going to figure this out together, John. We're gonna, we are both <laughs> going to be better men at the end of this podcast when it comes to this whole prospecting thing. So I just, I, you, I mean, you've been playing for a long time. I've been playing for a long time as well. Not quite as long as you. And I haven't no, really I'm been old. <laughs> and I just haven't been digging into uh, Debbie as long. Um, but you know, I, I like to use names that I think a lot of people would definitely be familiar with, uh, that are still, uh, in, in the prime of their NFL career today. And so, I mean, when I think of like players that I hit on, uh, early on in the process, um, I, I think of guys like Juju Smith Schuster, like who I had as a true freshman at USC, Dalvin Cook, who I had as a true freshman, uh, at, at Florida State, like guys that I was just like, I was so excited just to see them uh, pan out and and actually see their their careers come to fruition. And there's this huge success and this huge value in fantasy football. Are, are there some names that that you always gravitate towards that you you know had several copies of in in the leagues that you played? Yeah, the first one would be Jerry Judy. I mean, I'm biased towards Jerry Judy. Judy. I drafted him in a Debbie and in a dynasty league his freshman year at Alabama. That's how much I like Jerry Judy. And that's what I kind of like about Debbie, right? So I've had Judy. So that's three years, three years at Alabama. And now I have him in a dynasty league at, at um, Denver. So I've been actually watching Jerry Judy for four years now. I'm on Ross St. Brown. I mean, I've been looking at USC receivers for as long as I can remember. Now, they're not Alabama good or LSU good. But in general, USC receivers get draft capital. They get drafted. A a wide variety of success. A guy like Nelson Aguilar, we could debate how how successful or not is he. But I remember him. I'll tell you who who really drives me crazy. Nikhil Harry. Man, I had to kill Harry, dude. (laughs) I mean, the size. I stay up way too late watching film of the Pac-12. He obviously dominated. I understood watching the film. Separation was not great at the college level. But I felt with maturity, better coaching, with his physicality and size, I felt he could win in other areas than just separation. Yeah. And then he landed in New England and you're like, wait a second. He's, you know, he's in a really good situation as far as his organization is concerned. I feel good about this young man. And it's just, he has not even come close. Like, <laughs> so, he, you know, you have Judy on one side uh, and yeah. Keel Harry on the other side. So I've had to say, why did one work? Why did the other not work? Let me get better in my process. So, but, but that's how we get better at these things. 
What did I see? What did I think? And I always try the hardest thing for me, Travis, when I go back, I separate the profile from the NFL results. You could like a player's profile and like the film. We can't control off the field. We no. can't control maturity. Yeah. We can't control coaching staff. We can't school. we can't know all that. You know, it's just like we where we are. That, right? Yeah. So I should have been more aware of Nikhil Harry with separation. And I should have dinged him more. But at the same time, he had first round draft capital. So when he pops in my model, <laughs> when I love the film, and then he has first round draft capital. Right? You feel pretty good about your analysis. Yeah. yeah. And then it gets all blown up. Yeah. I still I have little hope. A little little hope. But we're at the we're at the end now, Travis, as far as Nikhil Harry. Yeah. And, and that's and the, I mean we all have misses. And, and I think back to names that uh you know, they're not even in the league. A couple of them aren't even in the league at, at this point, but like uh Duke Williams, like uh Dishaquil oh, Williams. Do you remember that dude? Oh yeah. Dude, he yeah. was Duke Williams, like for Auburn, I, I like Auburn, and I think years and years, maybe it was 2013 or 2014 or something like that. Yeah, and I was like, no, I, I was pumping him up. I was like, I was grabbing him in, in a couple of different spots, and I was like, he's gonna, he's gonna make it. And then he just like completely went off the deep end uh, with behavior stuff, <laughs> like, and just yeah. you know, just torpedoed, and he ends up like in the Canadian Football League or something like. <laughs> You know, and like a couple of years ago, he resurfaced on the on the Buffalo Bills. I was like, "Holy cow, that guy's still alive!" But uh, you know, like that, like it's just you know, we all have those misses. Like even back in the day, I think uh, early career Pharaoh uh, Cooper. Like I, I even had a couple of him. I think it was maybe back 2014, 20, I don't know, 2015. And I was, I was sure he was going to be a thing. And then I watched his final season. I really dug into his final season. I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's." He's actually not good. Crap. <laughs> and and they're just process things. You improve, right? I mean, I I, I think early on when when I got into this, uh, I really relied on a lot of tape, and I relied on a, you know a, a short list of things, and I was just like gonna fake it till I make it, and then figure it out. But as I went along, I was like, no, I have to be way more process oriented. Like I have to check it with the numbers and I've got to make sure that the numbers make sense with the film and it has to tell a complete story together. Like I need to understand the full context of each, each of these players before I have a, you know, flag planting moment for any of these guys or, or over invest to the point that three rosters worth of, of Debbie players are, you know, not panning out and, and it happens, but I mean, that's oh, just, yeah. that's just part of it. So it's like, how, like, where do you start now just to make sure uh, make sure that when you're trying to roster any of these, these players, they have a high chance of hitting uh, in your analysis. I do start with the schools themselves. I know, you know, look, I'm going to be very interested in Alabama running backs. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm be... going to be very interested <laughs> in LSU wide receivers. I'm going to be very interested um, at Oklahoma quarterbacks. I do, as a teacher... I do believe in culture. I know it's not something you can quantify. But when a young man arrives on a campus in a certain situation, there is a culture that is developed. I mean, if you're an LSU wide receiver recruit, you don't think they know what that means 
when they walk through the locker room and there's pictures of Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, DJ Chark, you know, Justin Jefferson, you there becomes a culture on that program that says we have success coaching this position, recruiting this position, and getting you in a position to succeed. Then what I do is I go back. Well, how many stars were they? Now it's easy at LSU, right? In terms they're of like they're they're recruiting receivers, right? Yes. So then Alabama would be the same thing. Now I mentioned USC. I'm a big, and we could talk Drake London, right? And we just saw um, Amon Ross St. Brown. USC has very interesting program culture of finding wide receivers. Obviously not on the level of LSU. Hey, if you and I did this podcast eight years ago, no one's talking about Alabama receivers, my friend. <laughs> That's when, true. When Jones, uh, Julio Jones. Jones is an Alabama dude, we knew he was great, but look at his college fantasy football numbers. They were a running program back then. And I remember scouting Jones and like, why don't they throw to Julio more? And I had drafted him in a college fantasy football league. And I was getting beaten by guys who had group of five at Louisiana Tech or at Houston because they were throwing to these wide receivers like 100 passes a year, right? So I realized the scheme matters, right? Absolutely. You can can take the elite wide receiver, and we all know – Julio Jones is a Hall of Famer, but he went to a run-based program long before Alabama embraced this wide open, right? And yeah. then they they also drafted different wide receivers. Yeah, I've so got, I, by the way, I've got a question for you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, and this is, and listeners, you, you can try to play along with this game. Last year, I opened up this podcast with a running back you wide receiver you, and then quarterback and tight end you episode specials. Yeah. Really talking about the, the universities that give the NFL the most NFL, uh, the most playmakers at each position. And yes, don't hear us saying we're not scouting players just based on their helmet. No. But like, this is a great place to start because if you look at the historical numbers by like all these positions, you can learn about a lot about where these programs are and, and what types of players that they are churning out at each position. But it is funny, you mentioned the Alabama thing like eight years ago or whatever. You know how many fantasy points were scored by Alabama uh, Alabama wide receivers like in the entire NFL in between the year 2000 and 2010? I'm going to guess less than, that's 10 years. I'm going to bet you it's less than 2,000 fantasy points. It is less than 100 fantasy points. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean... It is there you go. seriously like there was yeah. it was absolutely nothing. It was before nothing. Julio. There was essentially two guys that did anything. Uh, but, and, you know, when he came into the league, he immediately changed things. And ever yeah. since Julio entered the league, there have been at least 100 fantasy points scored by Alabama wide receivers every single season. And in fact, <laughs> in fact, there's been over 200 fantasy points scored every single season in the NFL by Alabama wide receivers since he came in. In fact, Six years in a row, we've seen over 400 fantasy points scored by Alabama wide receivers. Uh, so go. yes, they've been it's been trending like crazy in the past few years. But if you look at their numbers from 2000 to you know 2020, uh, yeah. they're like not even top 20 in terms of not fantasy even. points scored in the NFL. Crazy, Travis. That's so. I agree. Look, it. I agree. There's no such thing. But I do believe in culture. Absolutely. And, and 
culture goes with recruiting, right? So once Alabama and Saban, and he has admitted this, if you saw the interview lately, every, I think most people have seen it. He saw the change in the scheme, right, in the wide open offense. So what does he do? He recruits the elite athlete. They weren't recruiting five-star wide receivers they in weren't. 2001. No. They didn't care about that, right? So he was looking at linemen, linebackers, running backs, right? And then he said, Travis, I want to get five-star receivers in this yeah. program. Nick, Nick Saban actually called me up and said, Travis? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah. that's – and that's – and now Oklahoma, come on, if you are a – Top, if you're a five-star recruit, are there many better positions than Lincoln Riley right now that you want no. to go and learn from? Oh, no. Oh, not at so, all. <laughs> and then Clemson, right? You're, what, you're, what happens is the program builds, and then the recruits – I mean, do, do you have to really recruit if you're Lincoln Riley when he walks into your room? No, not I anymore. Mean, and, Not and, anymore. And their their wide receiver room speaks to that. I I, I mean yes. I've talked to on a couple of different shows recently just about how ridiculous their depth is that position. They're they're oh were so ridiculous that they just had a top fifty overall wide receiver can already come in and convert to a defensive back, like in the spring. He was like, <laughs> like eh, I I think I just rather get snaps. Like and he's like, a, you know. Like and I love the I love the kid. He he had like yeah. eighty five plus catches for like fifteen hundred yards and like a bunch of like a bunch of touchdowns in his final season as a wide receiver. And he was adamant yeah. about playing wide receiver even throughout the recruiting process. And he shows up to campus and looks around and goes, "Oh." <laughs> so I yeah. mean, now that's the starting point. Now, I, like a guy like John Mechie, I like him. He's on my Debbie rankings. But I'm very open-minded. He has to show me this year a lot before I guarantee first-round draft capital, right? There's a lot for that young man to move into the first round, but he could fall into the third round if things don't go right this year for him. I'm open-minded, but I also am smart enough to say, hey, look at what he's done in a program that has produced four first-rounders in the last two years. And he's had a nice opening to his career. He's not knocking down doors on all-time great totals. But what if he goes out and has a 75-catch, 1,200-yard, 10-touchdown season, which is completely in the realm of outcomes for him, right? Now, he might go out and get hurt and might fall. But I'm going to look at a player like him in that program, and he's a four-star recruit. So obviously I got to consider him highly for Debbie purposes, but I'm open-minded, Travis. He can rise or fall at any time, right? I'm not going to be closed-minded about it. He's got to show me something. He's not an elite five-star, you know, hits a home run freshman year like Rondell Moore, right? He still has more to show me. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it is good. I love that you mentioned, though, that like you, you do start at the very beginning of your process with these blue blood programs that have these top five star talent pools just constantly coming in. And even more so than ever, we're seeing that now with uh, just this concentration of all the top skill position players going to basically six different schools. It's crazy. Um, and, and even if they don't end up, you know, 
and, and even at the defensive side, we're seeing like with the transfer portal and uh, the one-time transfer rule now going through, it's going to be easier and easier for these top-tier schools to just fill out their roster and get a bunch of guys that are transferring in and are going to contribute right away as well. Like, uh, I mean, basically Alabama needed another, you know, starting linebacker and they steal essentially a top five linebacker in the country from, from Tennessee and, and Henry To'oto'o. And, yeah, and so it's just, I mean, it's, it's going to continue to happen. So yes, don't scout the helmets, but it absolutely matters. Uh, pedigree in recruiting and the school that they played for. Like it just, it just does. If you look historically, I mean, like in the past, I mean, LSU, Ohio state, USC, like all, all three of those schools have double digit uh, numbers of wide receivers that have been selected in the top 100 and the top 100 drafts basically since 2015. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it's they're bringing in a ton of talent and uh, that's going to continue. You know, the same schools continue to have ridiculous success in recruiting and depth at the, at the skill positions. So it's a great place to start. But, you know, I, I want to just ask you as well, you mentioned the recruiting and I've, I've kind of, I mean, I had a huge project where I scraped 15 years of recruiting data and uh, really dug into the hit rates of uh, each tier of uh, recruit pedigree. And it's not like any tier of recruit has a great chance at uh, success uh, because it's frankly, I mean, every player at every level is a, it's a long shot to make it in the NFL. But uh, I wanted to ask you about your, you know, power five versus G five uh, group of five. That is research and what you found in terms of splits and, and, and draft capital before I get into uh, some of what I found and, and how I start in my process. Yeah. I actually like yours more. I think it's more in depth. You went back farther. I only went back to 2014 because that's when I started analyzing players and I have it recorded but I did it not, and I wish I actually wish I had done it your way by four-star rating, five-star rating, but I did it by group of five and power five. And why I did it this year was I said to myself, why did I miss or what did I miss on Kenneth Dixon? What did I miss maybe on Daryl Henderson? We don't know yet the outcome of Daryl Henderson. It's still, but it's not looking great at this time. And I said to myself, well, they both were group of five running backs, right? I have to be open-minded about the fact that they come from the group of five. And I love the group of five football. You know, like I, I love college fantasy football and there's so much fun in the group of five football. I said, let me look back. And this since 2014, Travis, 159 running backs have been drafted. Nice sample size, not yeah. huge, but nice. Only 43%, 43 of them are from the group of five. That's 27% of the running backs in the NFL who were drafted are from group of five programs. So you have a one in four chance. That's not a great number, right? No. Now, and, and it's not like it's not like there's like a, a bunch less uh, in the, those conferences either. Like no. when we say group of five and power five, like there are 130 you know, 130 FBS teams and about half and half are yeah. power five and group of five, just a group of five don't see capital as much. Yeah. And then what I did is I said, how many of those 43 players? And I counted like David Johnson counts more than once in this final number. How many earn top 24 PPR results in NFL football? 
And Travis, we would all agree the 24th running back is not the most exciting <laughs> running back in NFL most, football. But most years, but no. I, right? But I counted them. Only 38 of those 43 backs, only 38 top 24 seasons, 22%. If you, so, what I what did I come to the conclusion? I'm going. I'd rather draft a backup like Kenyon Drake from Alabama than Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana Tech. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it because the the odds tell you that a power five running back is much more likely to succeed. Now there are two monkey wrenches in the all the numbers: Austin Eckler and James Robinson, because neither one was drafted, but both of them produced the top twenty four PPR season. So you almost throw like I, I one thing I should do, and I might. How many undrafted free agents actually ever made it on a roster? I don't even know if I can find that number. But how rare, we kind of know. Austin Eckler and James Robinson are extremely rare, and they've each done it once. Austin Eckler, 2019, and James Robinson last year, 2020. The big winners, Matt Forte, did it three times from Tulane. David Johnson has actually done it four times from Northern Iowa. And then Aaron Jones. So those are, if you take out those three, Travis, the numbers are even so much worse. So I immediately said, wow, I've got to look at power five running backs. Reality is I might find the next Matt Forte, but the odds do not tell me that I'm going to find that player. Yeah. And, and we hope to do it, right, Travis? That's what we're trying to do. And then I'm going back this summer. What made Matt Forte so different? I'm sure it's his size and his pass-catching ability. If I go look back, and I have to look back more on reports, but he had two things that not every group of five guy has, size and pass-catching. And David Johnson's the same thing. They were at group of five programs, but they had the NFL physicality the body the weight right with good hands and maybe that's why they succeeded over all these other players but that really got that's why you know what Travis this year this impacted my rankings Ramadre Stevenson moved ahead of guys who were group of five running backs in my pre-draft rankings Ramadre Stevenson is a power five running back at Oklahoma I know he's a juco but that actually changed how I rank players. And that, I bet you your draft capital, if I looked into it, my group of five players, what are they most likely to be? Three and two star recruits, right? That's And yep. that's actually why on my running back, my Debbie rankings, you want to know where my first group of five running back is? Where? Jerome Ford, number 35. Yeah, no, that makes sense though. I mean, like everyone I mean, it, else is a power five. Yep, and so really, I mean, just check boxes. Like, and just we're, we're basically kind of building our process from the ground up through this conversation here. And so, yeah. yes, we target those top schools, and we look at the 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 talent funnels and and the schemes that uh, are you know grinding out the, the the best players at the skill positions that we want to target. Uh, but then we move on to this, this this distinction of power five versus group of five. And we're not saying that group of five players can't hit. 
but oh. it does matter. Like, I mean, like, yes, every once in a while you'll, you'll find a Cortland Sutton. And uh, really, I think the community as a whole has gotten a lot better at identifying those players earlier on. But it's just that they are uh, not as common. Like, I mean, we, uh, Cortland Sutton stood out as a true sophomore, taking up like 40 plus percent of that offense for SMU. And we're like, oh, wow, this guy's absolutely a monster. And so I think those guys just kind of stand out in a different way. But it definitely is not uh, not as common that we see that kind of thing. Hey, my wide receiver numbers are just here. You want to hear some quick? Sure. Group of five, 230 wide receivers draft. I mean, total wide receivers since 2014, 230 of them. Guess how many are from the group of five, Travis? 61. Yeah, I was going to guess like 50. <laughs> 61. Yeah. Ask me how many of those 61 have produced a season of 800 yards. Nine. Nine. Yeah. That's 14%. Not great. You know, and Not it's great. funny. Like, because some of the some of the all-time greats like that we think of, like went yeah. to smaller schools, right? Like even in yes. like even in this this century, like not even like just Jerry Rice, but like even you know even like uh, like you Antonio know, Brown is Antonio the best. Antonio Brown is Central Michigan, like <laughs> yes. like like that's like that just doesn't it doesn't happen that often anymore. It doesn't. Here's the guys who have been successful. Devontae Adams is by far number oh, yeah. one. Fresno State. Yep. John Brown has actually been. He has yeah, three Pittsburgh MVPs. State, right? Pittsburgh yes. State. Yeah. Rashad Perryman actually did it one year, but he's a, a success. And he was, you know what? You mentioned that, though. UCF is actually the number one school in terms of group of five, in terms of fantasy points scored since the year 2000. I don't, I'm not shocked. I mean, I'm not surprised because they do have good pass catchers. Yes. And they coach them up. Yeah. And they, they, they find them at that program. Absolutely. And here's the others. Corey Davis, my biggest miss, Zay Jones, like just out of Eastern Carolina, yeah. absolutely he's done nothing. Yeah. Cortland Sutton. Now, when he went to the combine and he blew it out athletically, that's why he was my number two. That was he number no, he's number one. Yeah. I had him above DJ Moore. Yeah, so I had I had DJ Moore one. I think uh Cortland Sutton number two, I think that year. Yeah. So Anthony Miller, who is not hit, you know, he's we're up in the air, and Andy Isabella. <laughs> yeah, man, I I wanted Andy Isabella to, to work out, but UMass, man, UMass. that was just yeah. He had such a great profile, but uh, you know, he just went to a, a system where they just really never gave him a fair shot at targets. So we'll no. see if 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 on a second contract he, he pops a la you know Emmanuel Sanders did like like yeah. he did you know because he, he was basically wasted away uh, for the Steelers in his first contract and then popped. But really, another SMU guy, by the way, SMU, yes. SMU wide receivers actually have hit over the years. And SMU is actually third among all group of five uh, teams in fantasy points since the year 2000. But what's funny about them is they had zero before the year 2010 uh, in, in, in the entire decade prior. They like no scores. They've had a lot of success in the years since then. So you really just got to follow the trends, follow these programs that even aren't inside the top tier uh, range and just see what kind of players they're developing. What what kind of positions are, are they getting drafted? Because odds are they're going to get good players to go there shortly thereafter because of that success. And yes. then it is then replicated again. 
And the best programs in the country just do it year in, year out, year over year. And if you look at the recruiting rankings, uh, it's the same 10 to 15 teams at the top every single year. And even in, in how that translates to future fantasy points, if you look at the top four universities to score, yeah. you know, in, in terms of NFL fantasy points, uh, players from those universities scoring fantasy points at the next level, out of all of the fantasy points scored since the year 2000, yeah. four schools account for 13% of all fantasy points scored. Are you out of 130 schools. No, and, and that's including all the weird random one-off schools that had a really good player and go through. Like There, there are 240 plus schools that have seen a oh, fantasy yeah, point scored right. in the NFL. Because Carson Wentz it yeah, made a like difference, that, right? we're, we're counting FCS schools. Like all yeah. these like way down the line oh. schools. Four schools, 13% of all points. You know those four schools? Let me schools? see if I can guess. Yeah, go can for I it. Can I try to guess? You're going to get three Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, is it Clemson? <laughs> so Ohio State and LSU, you got. Yeah. But when I say that this this other one, you're going to be like, oh, duh, early 2000s. Miami. Uh, Miami. Oh! So Miami dominated from 2003 to like 2012 or so. Like they had oh, all that run of ridiculous running backs and, you know, 47 seasons of Frank Gore mixed in there too. <laughs> and so so they they, I mean, they had... They had, I think, uh, what was it, six, no, eight seasons in a row where they had at least 650 fantasy points uh, from their players oh scored God. in the NFL uh, from 2003 to 2010. And then the fourth one is actually Florida. Uh, they've had, oh. because they actually have a, a wide variety of players across every position and not a bunch of elite top end playmakers, but a bunch of long career guys. Uh, okay. That that kind of uh, helped help them maintain that excellence. And Alabama is actually, let's see here, they are, and it's because their entire you know early 2000s. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're just non-existent. They're 23rd. <laughs> Like they had like virtually nothing, and they had no quarterbacks. They had so they weren't getting anything at the quarterback position. Yeah, that makes sense when you think about what that program was fantasy wise, and now how different it is. Yeah, you're right. Way different. Yeah, still kind of crazy just looking at, at how much that that's changed over the years. And you just got to look at the the you know 
at the top schools first. So we're talking about, I mean, we're talking a lot of pedigree and not a lot of attributes here. Uh, but on the other side, we'll, we'll get into more of what we look for in our players and how, we, uh, how we've improved our process and how you guys can too. But first, a word from our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. And we're back. So I, we've already kind of covered a lot of the, the pedigree and schools and things we, things we look for when it comes to uh, top players and, and when we're looking for the best players to develop and translate to the pros. One more note on that, just because if you want to check out some of the work that I've done on that, it's actually my pinned tweet right now. I wrote down uh, all of the top you know ranks of, of recruits uh, by year, you know, dating back to 2002, basically posted their hit rate in, in segments of like if they were ranked in the top 25 in their class or ranked in between 26th and 50th in their class or in between 51st and 75th in their class and so on and so forth all the way down to the top 800 in every single recruiting class since 2002. And I looked at their hit rates in terms of their draft capital percentages. And so it's a fun exercise just to see how much uh, pedigree truly does matter, especially if you look at more recent classes, like from 2012 to 2016, all the classes that would have or should have been drafted through this past year's draft, even if they stayed for an extra year, 68% of players ranked in the top 25 in their draft class were drafted. And 25% of those guys were drafted in round one. Compare that to guys just outside the top 100 in their class, like players in between ranks 101 and 125, only 26% versus 68%. Only 26% were drafted and only 4% saw round one capital. It drops off very quickly. So capital, uh, so pedigree and recruiting, it matters. Yes, the, the hit rate is atrocious for every level of recruit, frankly, because when we're talking about thousands of players in every single class and only 300 players even really being considered for draft picks every single year, you're going to have a lot of misses. But it, it really does matter. And that's a great place to start. But beyond that, how do you build out your process? What's the next thing that you look for in your process, John? And like how, like, what's, I guess, the most important thing that you've really learned over the years to look for? So I haven't broken down. So my last, my last part of the process is my film breakdown with copious notes. What I'm doing now is I'm looking at a production model. And in that production model, I have things like 24-7 grade, 24-7 sports or rivals, but I'm just using 24-7. And then I'm looking for size and then yards per carry and receptions. Those to me right now, if, if I see a player and they check all those boxes, they're going to be very high in my Debbie rankings. 
Now, obviously, with incoming freshmen, they're not going to have those yards per carrier receptions yet. I'm going more by the rankings. But I also might have them lower on my Debbie rankings because I factor in how quickly are they going to be in the NFL. Because the reality is a running back, if he's got two or three years on campus, there's a chance of an injury. We just saw how I was so pumped on George Pickens, right? Like, I think the whole Debbie community was excited about George Pickens. He's not even going to play this year. And we he suffered a pretty devastating injury. Now, he should come back. But he falls down my Debbie rankings because now we're looking at one less year of practice. Who knows if he's going – he could go pro, right? Then you're, you're asking an NFL team to take a big leap of faith. And how is he going to recover from that injury, right? So in my rankings, if they're three years out, they're going to be below a very productive senior most likely unless we have a three-versus-five-star recruit because the longer they're in college, the more likelihood of an injury occurring. Does that make sense? So I put in class year. So as an example, one guy I see buzz on, and I love this player. And Travis, if you and I were sitting here six years ago, I would have come on and talked about him in the first five minutes of the show. Sincere McCormick, University of Texas, San Antonio. I would have come on here and I would have waxed poetically like Walt (laughs) Whitman about how much I'm into Sincere McCormick. And I would have probably been completely wrong. Because I now look at my model and I've learned. He was a three-star recruit. He went to a group of five program. He's only 5'9", and he's listed at 200. And we found out with Rashad Bateman how accurate some of these listings are. So he could be 5'8", 192 for all we know, right? So he's way below my size and weight threshold. 2019, he's already been on campus for three years, my friend. The longer you're on campus, the less likeliness of getting very high draft capital. So I'm looking at that now. Do I like his yards for carry? 5.8? Yes. Receptions, 44. See, I would have loved him years ago. But now when I go, hmm, group of five back, a little undersized, (laughs) I'm going to push him down my model. Now, does he have elusiveness? Yes, I've seen him a little bit. I was watching. I have Frank Harris. They have an interesting receiver, Sakari Franklin. If you don't know who he is, actually, UT, you, um, they're going to be a very exciting college football offense. And I was watching him last year, right? Is he elusive? Yes. But I also now say he's playing Conference USA linebackers. Yeah. He's not playing USC linebackers, right? So my visions or my eyeball test says he's elusive. My brain is saying he's playing group of five defenders. So you can't place him as high as you want. So he's my 36th Debbie running back. As an example, Kenneth Walker, who transferred from Wake to Michigan State. Both of them are three-star recruits in the same class. He has nice numbers, Kenneth Walker, from Wake Forest. He's now playing for the Spartans, everyone. He's a little bigger. 5'10", 5.3 yards of carry, almost no receptions. But you know what? I have Kenneth Walker ranked 32nd. Sincere McCormick, 36. Why? Three years at a Power 5 program. And Michigan State liked him enough 
to bring him in, right? And we know Michigan State would like to have a bell cow back. They haven't found one since Le'Veon Bell, basically, right? They really want one. But I have Kenneth Walker because my production model says he has a better chance of NFL success than Sincere McCormick. No, that makes sense. And it's just like you're just talking about historical hit rates and, and building that into your process. And I think that's incredibly important. And we're not saying that a group of five players can't hit, but I think that oh. does filter through the process. And if you look at recent draft boards, like even even like colleges of Canton leagues that draft full college rosters and full NFL rosters, if you look at like the first really 10 rounds of, of most drafts, like you're looking at, you know, single digit players uh, from group of five conferences uh, getting yeah. selected and, and a lot of a lot of the time. Like I think just one that I had here recently had what, nine, ten, yeah, ten, ten players drafted inside the first ten rounds that were from group of five conferences. So it was, is a, was McCormick drafted. He was. He was actually drowned, drowned, drafted, uh, drafted in round seven. And Kenneth Walker dropped actually to round ten. So, and that's the variance. That, that's, that's why it's, it's funny. It's like you get 12 minds together that have access to, to a lot of the same information, but there's still a lot of disagreement. Once you get outside of like the first, you know, two or three rounds, you know, really 30, 40 players in college football, uh, there's a lot of disagreement when it comes to these players. Um, but for me, one thing that I've learned over the years is you, to properly weight individual aspects of any model, of any kind of uh, singular variable uh, that I build into my process. Because I, I used to value just the film side way too much. And then I think I leaned a little bit too far into the data side and relying on that. <laughs> And, uh, over certain things, and that really, you know, broke me with guys like uh, Laquan Treadwell and having like a really early oh. breakout age, albeit like in a lower volume passing attack uh, yeah, yeah. at the time. And then even like guys like just what one year ago, like with Jalen Rager or Brian Edwards. Like, yes, it's still up in the air for either one of those, but those are both names that I think many in the community likes for a long time because they had early breakout seasons like Brian Edwards when he was he was not even 18 years old and he was dunking on kids in college at, at South Carolina as a true freshman we were all just enamored like ready to yeah. anoint him as king uh, many people had Brian Edwards who is now at the Ra Raiders who was day two pick they had him as the wide receiver one in their Debbie rankings for multiple years and then yeah. he ended up you know just not having a perfect process because frankly south carolina couldn't get quarterbacks to come and play no quarterback none no just a huge trade quarterbacks and it's same thing jalen rager tcu we loved you know jalen rager but he had to deal with like six or seven different quarterbacks that were just impossible uh to get him the ball and even Max Duggan, when he was getting better last, uh, you know, last, you know, as a true freshman, you know, in Rager's final season, it was just horrible trying to see this horrible. true freshman get him the ball, and and so it's hard to properly evaluate these guys. But the guys that have these uh, really nice early breakout seasons for programs where they're competing with virtually nobody or like the, the main guy that Edwards was competing with at the time was Debo Samuel. And he was 
injured for, I believe, most of that first season, which we saw him break out. Uh, so that you have to look at the whole picture and not just one production variable or one aspect of the film side. Uh, and and that's, that's how I've really helped myself avoid many misses over the years. But at the same time, uh, even last year, I was getting suckered in rank, ranking Rager like in my top three wide receivers. And now that looks really silly. Uh, I, I was really high on Justin Jefferson also. So kudos to me, I guess. But at the same time, like to have a miss as high as I had Rager ranked, it just it just was a reminder again. Hey, Travis, you know that thing you tell yourself not to do and focusing in on like one production variable too much? Yeah, you did it again. <laughs> so. You know, I'll say this. I had Rager at five, Jefferson at three. And T. Higgins at four. And T. Higgins, let me tell you what I learned about T. Higgins. Trust yourself. I love the film. I was huge on T. Higgins for the longest time. Then he went to the combine. And he was his combine wasn't great. And people were, he fell down some. And I was like, I'm going to stay steadfast and keep T. Higgins. I believe in T. Higgins. So there are so many factors, right? You, you just said it, Travis. I like the film, I like the program, I like the player. He just wasn't as athletically gifted as I had hoped, right? He didn't have the Cortland Sutton day when he went to the combine. But you know what? There are football players. And I know, look, I'm a data guy too now. I mean, I've even grown to like it more. I, I started out as a film guy. I'm in my 50s. No one did <laughs> data back in 1988. Dude, we were just looking at yards per carry and total yards, right? So. I like it now, but I, I try to balance, and I'm not saying I'm at perfect by any stretch, but I've learned there is no magic nugget of any, like, young breakout age. Well, then what do we say about Corey Davis and Brian Edwards, right? Like, Corey Davis was insanity. But then, I'm like, he was a group of five wide receiver, right? He just – and he was finally – he had a good season finally, but look how long did it take you to get – Payoff. Most people probably cut them, traded them. I mean, how many? I'd love to know, Travis. How interesting would this be? How many original dynasty owners who drafted Corey Davis still had Corey Davis that many years later? Right. So uh, I mean, basically, just get- the Titans fans and and Nick- <laughs> Titans right? fans and and Nick Whalen probably. There you go. Sh- shout I shout out to Nick Whalen because he was high on Corey Davis for a long time, even before. Uh, he, you and know, two guys. Him. Yeah, exactly. Like Cor- Cortland Sutton, guys we mentioned on the show. Waylon, you know, digs deep and early with these guys, yeah. and even well, even at their GFD five, and and really they and they were hits in terms of capital. I mean, like if, yeah. if you're and really the the prices that you could have moved either one of those guys for early on, like when Corey Davis hit with top five NFL draft capital, like oh from God. a group of five school, like that. I mean, that was unbelievable. Like he he broke the mold. He was the guy who stayed an extra year, was a small school guy, didn't do anything in the combine season and, and still got the capital. Like talk about a crazy outlier in the process. And now he's a jet. <laughs> now he's a jet. So let me, so it's interesting. I know you're a huge tank Bigsby fan, right? Yes. I know that I follow you. So it's interesting. I like Bigsby too. Don't get me wrong, but he's two years removed from, his draft class, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the NFL. I think I know so where you're going, I, and I love it, by the way. I love it. Yeah. This is how we're going to end the show, like, by the way. This is going to become an entire segment. Continue. So, 
But when so I'll tell you when I see Bigsby and I've watched him, I had him on my teams last year, and I watch Auburn. I was scouting Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz, and I see power, I see vision, I see second level speed. I mean, he's got the package from my eyeball test, right? Now, have I taken copious notes like I did last year with Najee Harris and um, Travis Etienne? I haven't yet because he's two years away from the NFL. So when I'm ready to dig, that's going to take me hours to dig. But I'm smart enough to say I've seen this young man play. He's clearly got every athletic tool that I'm looking for. Now, yes, I'd like to see him be a little bit more of a pass catcher, but that's also look at Jonathan Taylor wasn't a great pass catcher in Wisconsin. I think we overrate it in running backs because sometimes we have programs where you don't see it, right? They don't coach it. They don't design it. They don't spend time on it, right? So that's that's always a challenge. I'll tell you my biggest challenge this year, and I'm watching film now because they're coming out next year. Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. Those two are driving me crazy. Because I have them at two and three in my Debbie rankings. They're probably going to be the two top backs off the board next year. Now, anything could happen. We have a, you know, so, but right now, but I can't, I, I have Brees Hall ranked higher, but I'm not sure if I'm right about that. I'm darn close. The film is tough. I'm going to have to watch more of it. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to watch a ton of live. So I'm a live note taker. I don't know if that makes any sense. I like, especially the quarterback position. I take notes as the player is engaging in the game because I've got to see how they react when the game is unfolding. Are they getting penalties for delay of clock? Do they look confused in the huddle? Are they calling plays at the line of scrimmage? Do I see audibles? All these things matter to me very much. It's about the command of the offense, and I can only get that when I watch the game. Now, same thing with blitz pickup. I can watch Blitz pick up on film, but I want to see it in real time. When is that outside <laughs> linebacker or safety? Are they coming? And what is the running back doing? To me, that's very important when I scout. So I'll be looking at these things for Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, and then I'll take more copious notes. So I, I, I'm still up in the air. Brees Hall's been unbelievable. They're both four-star recruits. They're almost the same. They're both 6'1", 215, 225. 5.3, 5.5 yards per carry. The numbers are silly. 46 receptions, 49 receptions, right? I mean, <laughs> they're, and I tend to like Brees Hall just a little bit more, but I love Isaiah. So my year right now, what I'll be focusing on, I will watch at least four live games. And I might, sometimes I tape it, right? Does that make sense? I come home and watch it like on a Monday night. I'll watch Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, and I'll take copious notes at the time. Because I've got to, there's things that I need to see as the game unfolds. Sure. And I like that. And that's one. So one of the things, if you want to know, like held me back last year with Spencer Rattler, I thought he made a lot of game mistakes. But that's part of it because he was a redshirt freshman. So I'm willing to give him more time to grow. Like I, if, if you watch Clemson, I thought, I thought at the end Trevor Lawrence was playing a perfect football game from a mental standpoint. Yeah. I mean, he's as good as anyone well, was, I've ever seen. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But um, so I guess with Tank Bigsby, with these guys yeah. that are a couple years out, you, you you kind of shifted to like why you like the 
the guys that are kind of closer to the draft and everything. But like, if you, I mean, you like Tank Tank Bigsby, oh, but if if he cool. doesn't, what would you say if he doesn't succeed? Why would that be? Because I mean, he's a consensus first round Debbie pick, like with like a top three running back by everyone for the twenty twenty three class. So if he doesn't work, why would that be? In the Auburn system, something goes wrong at the school. Something goes wrong at the school. The, the team falls apart under the new coach. Maybe they don't get the quarterback. Maybe Bo Nix completely fails, so he doesn't have the opportunity. I mean, I don't think it would be anything he does. Yeah. Right? I don't think it's going to do anything with him. Yeah. I think if, if the program slips so far that he doesn't have an opportunity to show his skills. Sure. But he would still be a second round pick, I would think. In the yeah, NFL. it's hard to project that far out. And like if you talk yeah. to people that don't play in Debbie leagues or anything like that, or even people that follow the NFL draft loosely, they're like, what do you mean you're like you're trying to predict the 2023 NFL draft? That's two years. What are you talking about? Like, But if you if you do this for very long, you get really good at understanding what the profile looks like, what the player looks like. Where they where they play for like most of the time like we can know two years out like DJ Uyunglele for for Clemson is a first round pick probably I already I already put it in Sharpie that he is the first round over a first overall pick for 2023 but like Tank Bigsby unless something crazy happens like he's gonna be a top three running back in that class as well because one Brian Harson feeds the crap out of his running backs. Like 25 touches a game pretty much every single year since 2014. Like it's going to be a big workload. But I I don't think the program would fall apart. I'm just saying like. Yeah, yeah. That would be the scenario. Sure. So like, and with him though, like what I've I've learned that, that kind of builds out his profile. Well, Travis, I love, you know, what do you, what do you mean? You like him? Cool. One, he goes to a top tier program. He's in the SEC. He has a great first year uh, breakout and having, you know, all, over like 1,200 all-purpose yards. He actually had seven, you know, tons of rushing yards, but he also had 11 catches, and, and yeah. that's that's actually not too bad because he was kind of phased into that aspect of the game later in the season. And then he had added over 300 kick return yards as well. That was nice. like that, that dynamic. Just hey, let's get this guy on the field. That's the kind of uh, breakout and, and workload I'm looking to see, and, and a guy that you know. Not a blue blood program, but we just talked about him last week that I, I'm I'm willing to take earlier than most is Jameer Gibbs for Georgia Tech because oh, despite like not having the 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 top tier program pedigree, he was a top 100 overall recruit. He was, yeah. and he he shows up at the very beginning of the season and just absolutely smashes. Accounts for like 15 percent of the receiving game as a true freshman, and now has virtually no competition for touches for the next two seasons. Again, in position to succeed, and so yes, it's about um, opportunity. It's about what they did in their first freshman year because I do appreciate early breakouts at both running back and wide receiver positions. Yeah, I know things can change, but we can also understand the recruiting classes coming behind and and the people that they're going to have to play against, and 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 we can project these futures. So, but to round out the show here, I, I just want to you know understand a couple players that you're really high on this fall that you think that you know throughout all these years of of processing through this infor- through this vast sea of information and projecting future NFL success, like some of the guys that you're most confident in based on how your process currently stands today that you think they are returning to college football, that they're going to be an NFL draft pick, no doubt in your mind. I'm going to, 
I'm going to shock you. I'll give you one for each position, my friend. Sure. And maybe maybe some Matt like Carroll. maybe some like non-obvious ones too. If you okay. can. Okay. Okay. Tell me if this is non-obvious. Then <laughs> Matt Carroll, Mississippi. I'm much higher on him than other people. I have him at number four. Matt. Yeah. Matt Corral. Ole Miss. That Lane Kiffin Whoa. offense is fun, dude. Look it. I understand he turned the ball over. I get it, everyone. I've heard it. SEC pedigree. Four-star recruit. 6'1", 205, dual-threat quarterback. Almost 5,000 yards passing, 724 yards rushing, and 44 total touchdowns. And remember, he's basically done this in a year and a half. Because if you go back to 2019, he was sharing the quarterback position. He was going back and forth. Yeah, that was a mess. It was a mess. If he explodes, my friend, and he could explode. Mississippi has a potential. Now, it's a brutal. I get it. It's the SEC West, right? It's it's tough. But what if he won 10 games out there and he ends up in the top three in the Heisman? The young man is going to be a first-round pick. He's got the legs. He's got the athletic ability. And, and this is going to be important to me. If you've listened to me on my other shows, I'm big into the touchdown and interception ratio. Because to me, it shows football IQ. I Now, right now, it's not great. I look at his touchdown-interception ratio, and I'm disappointed. But that's one bullet point. I'm not going to grade any on just one single bullet point. I need to see improvement. I'm going to watch him a ton this year. His court, which this is fascinating, because his quarterback ranking is really good at 162.1, despite having a poor... Touchdown to interception ratio, which tells me he's throwing the ball deep down the field. He's he's completing a high percentage of his passes. Well, hey, the package has some really good highlights there. It does. And athletically, because I was scouting Elijah Moore. Look at Elijah Moore saved him at times. He's a, we can talk a whole how good he is. But Matt Carroll also made a heck of a lot of beautiful throws. He has some gumption, dude, and yeah. I like that. He's, in he's my a gunslinger, man, and uh, you know he yes. he does have that that deeper average depth of target than you would believe. Uh, Lane yes, Kiffin just fixed deeper. fixed that uh, offense quite a bit, and if you look at his adjusted yards per pass attempt, and even if you adjust for different schematic variables like play action percentage, uh, you know he he despite that crazy fall apart game and two yeah. fall apart games, he's still bypassing efficiency metrics. Uh, any way you want to slice it was above the 80th percentile, even with two absolute just fall apart. Like one, one game was six interceptions and he's Yo, still, yeah. So if he's got some great potential to bounce back and, yeah. and be one of those guys, because if you, um, one of the things I'm writing up for road is here is breaking up, uh, breaking down a mix of passing efficiency and just some really simple rushing yard market share thresholds. Like, you know, basically just being a positive rushing, uh, yeah. you know, a, a threat and a 90th percentile adjusted yards per pass attempt over expected in my model. Like if you mix those two together, it's it's the most predictive draft capital uh, model for quarter, quarterbacks I've been able to find. And then if you mix in just accounting for 5%, even just 5% of your team's rushing yard market share in your, in your yeah. peak passing season. If you do that in your your peak efficient season, like in, in your 90th percentile passer in terms of efficiency, like you're basically 
always and an automatic hit if you get so like he's in that category if he has just a slight improvement in his passing efficiency and he's going to probably get some early draft capital as well he's he's one of my top few names to work into that quarterback three conversation if not the quarterback two conversation depending on how this season plays out so i'm glad you brought him up who who are some other guys that that you want to at other positions that you're really confident in eric Eric Gray, dude, I am all in on Eric Gray. Now, I watched him in Tennessee, and I liked him last year. For a young man to play the program that, let's be honest, is kind of falling apart. <laughs> kind um, of. What, That's really what, nice, by the way. What, what he's done at Tennessee in his first two years is simply really, really good, everyone. We're talking about a high-level efficiency running back in the tough, let's just say it, the toughest conference in the NFL. 43 receptions for Tennessee, 5.1 yards per carry, four-star recruit, 5'10", 205, please be 205, right? Like, At least. If he gets to that 210 threshold, Travis, and he looks incredibly fast on film, right? We'll go to the combine or the pro day. But I think he's going to have a huge year for Oklahoma. I think he's a second-round pick in this modern NFL because of his pass-catching ability and his overall skill set. He is explosive at the second level. What I liked is he had to deal with almost no blocking at Tennessee. You know what, man? It is going to be the parting of the Red Sea at Oklahoma at times. When he sees these holes against Big 12 defenses – with that Oklahoma offensive line, Eric Gray might have 12 or 1,300 yards rushing for the Sooners this year. I think he's crazy underrated. I love him in college fantasy football, and I love him as a Debbie asset. Now, I don't think he'll be a first-round pick. We didn't even see Javonta Williams, and we saw two, which was rare this year, right? Yeah. But I have a second-round grade on him right now. I like him a lot, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think uh, he, I think he's got a great opportunity there. I think the only way he doesn't get top tier draft capital is, is 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 if for some reason you know he's in more of a timeshare look with Kennedy Brooks than uh, you know really owning uh, that the entirety of that offense. But man, it really looked like when down the stretch last year the way that they operated with Ramondre Stevenson having almost 900 yards from scrimmage in six games. If he's doing Dude. that, yeah, he's he's gonna be in good shape. Uh, Did you see that a, touchdown run in the spring game? Yeah. That was a thing. Yeah, he's, Dude, he's looking you know legit. what I like about him? I, t- I, I say this with my partner, Matt, on the rookie big board all the time. And I don't think we talk enough about this as draft people, especially mm-hmm. with running backs. I call it second-level vision. He is amazing taking angles away from safeties and cornerbacks. When he gets into the second level – he is so good at breaking down the ankles of the second level. And he is going to see so many second level opportunities against Big 12 defenses, dude. And on that touchdown run, the safety just had no shot. Like he just broke them down. Sure. I mean, I think that's a very <laughs> underrated skill, second yeah. level vision. Absolutely. And the, like Ramondre Stevenson doesn't have second level vision, he's going to try to run you over. But when I see that explosive player, oh, I love that so much. And that's Travis Etienne has it. I know you love Travis Etienne. Dude, he has that second-level vision. Once he gets in the open field, you're not. It's going to be very hard to stop him. Absolutely. Uh, you know, now 
obviously there's some safeties who can run with them. This is the NFL. I get it. But it, there was no one in the ACC who could run with him. I mean, his second level vision was silly, my friend. Yeah. And just to round out the show here, one one last player, wide receiver, uh, maybe a non-obvious name that you're, you're uh, planning your, your flag on here that you believe is going to have an NFL future based on, you know, the most important variables that you kind of weight uh, in your process. I'm not sure why this young man isn't getting spoken more about. Rakeem Jarrett out of Maryland. Five-star recruit. 6'0", 200 pounds. Freshman year, you look at the broad numbers, people, 17, 252. You might say, ah, who? 14.8 yards per catch in a Maryland offense that hasn't really hit the next level. I like, like, I like what Coach Loxley is doing. He's bringing in high-level talent. He obviously can recruit. I mean, it's amazing what Maryland's been done if you look at their recruiting grades under Loxley. I think Rakeem Jarrett this year is going to blow up at 200 pounds in the Big Ten with a five-star pedigree ending up at Maryland and seeing what he did as a freshman. He's my number nine. And for me to put him up that high and still be two years away from NFL draft, I like him a lot, my friend. Yeah, he, he's a top, really, by any measure, a top five uh, freshman wide receiver from this class last year. He was a top five guys recruit, a five-star wide receiver. I had no idea why he chose Maryland, but <laughs> <laughs> let's be real. No idea why he chose Maryland. No idea, brother. But uh, he did. And uh, <laughs> even it, it's a small sample, but his adjusted production index, which is a, a metric that uh, look, for me, I built it for Rotoviz. It is a. It, it looks at their dominator rating, yards per team pass attempt, and touchdowns per team pass attempt. Basically, basically their ability, a wide receiver's ability to take up a significant volume within an offense, maintain efficiency within that volume, and score touchdowns. Practically speaking, but yeah. it, it is a small sample. But among all true freshmen last year, he was third in the nation in the, the adjusted production Ooh. index. Behind only Marvin Mims and Parker Washington. Uh, Marvin Mims, of course, of Oklahoma. Parker Washington of Penn State. Quentin Johnston's right there with him. Guys like Jordan Addison, Kayshawn Boutte, other guys that did really well last year as true freshmen by this measure. And are all, all those guys are on track to be day two NFL draft picks based on their current production arc. So uh, I'm glad you brought up Rakeem Jarrett. The only thing that I think could hold him back is the Maryland offense, just like guys that, <laughs> that we just kind of talked about before, uh, like guys that we loved with their true freshman numbers, like, like you know, the Jalen Ragers of the world, the Brian Edwards of the world uh, that were in a Power 5 program. But the offense just held them back, and I think that might be the case. That would be the only thing that I could see stopping him from uh, it just absolutely exploding in 2021. So really glad you came on the show, John. Always enlightening, always a good time just talking through these prospects, taking a look at college players, future NFL players with you. Uh, but is there anything else, uh, anything you want to share or plug here before we sign off? Um, my teammate on the Rookie Big Board, the draft seminar, we actually are going to start a Devi um, series coming up in the summer. We're also going to be doing college fantasy football rankings in video format. Haven't really announced it to the world. So, Travis, you're getting the Got first these. time we are announcing it to everyone. Nice. And um, we're going to start talking about some of these prospects. And I actually, first, another first, you're going to hear it. I invented a Debbie Bingo game. 
And we are going to be, be, be premiering the Debbie Bingo for our viewers. That's awesome. Yeah, man, Debbie <laughs> Leagues are just fun. Being able to roster these college players on your teams before they're in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just great. It's great to see it, it growing and college fantasy continuing to grow as well. But, uh, John, I really appreciate you as always. Uh, again, you can find him on Twitter at GridIronSkull91 and find his work. Uh, I mean, actually, the best place to find all his work is really just through that on Twitter. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, you can follow me again. I'm Travis May uh, on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. And uh, if you want to leave a question, uh, in, in a five-star review, I, my feelings would not be hurt at all if you wanted to, to do that. And I hope you guys are enjoying this rookie draft season and uh, the summer. And I hopefully, hopefully we have a bunch more information and new stuff to talk about in the coming weeks. But uh, we'll, we'll be talking a bunch more college football, NFL, all summer long. So I look forward to you joining me here soon for many more episodes of the College Again podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.